0: Well, it's true. God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a hurt, and um, I am looking forward to seeing how God is going to steward, uh, celebrate recovery. And I hope that uh, you will be able to come uh, Friday night. Uh, I'm going to be. I'm going to be there. And uh, I just, uh, I, I just want to see uh, what the Lord is going to do when His people gather and give, give the hurts, and the habits and the hang-ups to him. Uh, Because we've come here to this place, some of us have had an incredibly victorious week, and some of us have had our our own version of a seven-point earthquake. Um, Ron and Pat Duzan from our church family, uh, Pat, uh, for the past several years now, has attended... Uh, missions trip in January uh, through the Northwest Haiti Christian Mission. And so uh, Pat and her adult daughter Alicia uh, landed in Port-au-Prince Tuesday afternoon, uh, just the afternoon uh, on the day of the earthquake. And uh, their mission is not in Port-au-Prince, it's um, an hour and a half or two outside of uh, the city. But it kind of changed the agenda of what the trip was going to be. And if you get my Friday emails, you know that on Friday morning I had mentioned to you that, you know, they were um, things were a little spooky, but they were safe, and they were going to be there till at least the 22nd till they came back. Uh, that was Friday morning, uh, about quitting time. Uh, Friday uh, evening, I got a, uh, another email, got a phone call, uh, and uh, Janice informed me that. Uh, um, uh, Pat and her daughter and one other person from the mission team had to be basically it was time for them to leave because it was getting too spooky and so uh, they boarded a plane and uh, 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 took a chartered flight uh, from uh, Haiti to uh, Fort Pierce Florida they landed there uh, safely and uh, yesterday and then uh, Ron was in church uh, first service and uh, he went to go get her so uh, uh, so I assume she's going to be uh, at home tonight and in her own bed, and God's good and has taken really good care of her. Um, I mean, earthquakes can just change things. Monday morning, you're doing business, and then this earthquake hits on Tuesday, and agendas change, itineraries change, plans change. And for some of us here today, you know, we've had our own version of an earthquake, and you may be here because of that. And You realize that uh, what's happened to you, you know, it's a big world, and you're a small person, and I need God's help. And you, maybe you're here because of that, or you're here as an active part of the church community now because at one time you went through an earthquake, and you realize that uh, you did not have the resources in your life to be able to manage the aftershocks and then just kind of getting back together. And, and you learn to lean upon the creator of the universe now and you know him and your life is growing because of this cataclysmic thing that you wouldn't wish on anybody else but looking back now you've seen how God took you through that trial. Earthquakes can do that and they can also do the opposite. Earthquakes can also make you a bitter person, make you an accusing kind of person. Make you a person who's resentful to God because of, you know, why did I deserve this? And why is this going on? And why don't you fix this, God? If you really loved uh, me or loved my family and so on and so forth. And those are are questions that come from the heart. And I can't help but think that James is speaking to those who may be struggling with those very questions. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 19 to 27 today. It's on page 854 of your church Bibles. James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. You know, we all have our stories about the earthquakes that hit our life and how those earthquakes can make us either a better person or a somewhat resentful person, a bitter person. And you see the story of the letter of James. This 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 letter just didn't show up out of thin air. There's a story behind this letter, and the story is that James, the half brother of Jesus, became the leader, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and he had spiritual responsibility and oversight and care in over thousands of Christians. I mean, the church, you know, the church started out of Jerusalem, and, and James more or less emerged as the, as the pastor, of the leader. And so this letter that James wrote, scholars tell us it's the earliest, one of the earliest, if not the earliest, Christian document, probably emerging in the 40s, 80, 45-ish A.D., so which would have put, you know, just shortly after a decade after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, if you want to look into what early primitive Christian literature is like, just read the book of James. James, the pastor of this church, and this church community that met, and you know, they would have gathered at the temple there in Jerusalem. The temple was a huge compound, 17 acres, huge, huge, huge. So the believers would have met, and James would have been pastoring and teaching, and And then when you read the book of Acts, you understand that there was persecution that happened. And then the church, you know, Christians had to leave, dispersed. not everyone, but I mean, Christians, believers, their lives were being threatened, and and they not only had to leave Jerusalem, but their own country, country of Israel. Can you imagine that? Having to leave, we're so protected and blessed by our own country and the Constitution, you know. We don't have to worry that armed guards are going to be coming in, or we're going to be you know, physically persecuted because of the expression of our faith. That was not the case there. I can't imagine what it would be like if for, you know, this section here, next week, you're gone. You've had to leave the country. And where you how are your souls going to get taken care of? How are you going to grow in your faith what 's going to happen there? Those are the issues here and and so you go outside the country and you 're going to find you know you 're going to find a synagogue because you 're hebrew you 're Jewish and you need to find a connection with someone of your uh, you know of, of your family lineage and of your faith lineage and so the synagogue is the obvious place to go and so and so you 're not only facing Discrimination because you're racially different, but there's also a double discrimination because the you know the 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 Hebrew Christians are then persecuting you. Be, uh, excuse me, the Hebrews are persecuting you because you're a Hebrew Christian. I mean, it's difficult. It's costing you, and then you get this letter from Pastor James. You know, our pastor has written us. <sighs> What is he, what's he going to be saying? And James opens, I want you to consider it pure joy. Whatever your trial is, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. I mean, there's really none of this, hey, church family, I feel your pain stuff. I mean, at the beginning, James said, hey, grow up. Grow up. Do you really want James to be your pastor? (laughs) You know? I mean, come on, come on, Jim, give me a break here. I mean, love on me just a little bit, you know? All right, well, in verse 19 he does. He says, my dear brothers. See, he's got heart. (laughs) But he's, he's, you know, he is teaching his church family that God, God is still in control and he doesn't waste a hurt And here's how God wants you to respond to him in your undeserved and inescapable trial. Verse 19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And and then he says this in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I mean, can you imagine being displaced from your home, you're outside your country, you get this letter, you hear it, you're listening to it, and all of a sudden, you're being challenged to, to grow up and to see this trial as a way of shaping and forming and molding you, and and, and, and James is saying, Don't, you know, listen, As you're, you're tempted to be angry, and as you're listening to this letter, you are being angry, you want to push back to God. What's going on? Why are you doing this? If you were really sovereign, if you were really in control, why would you allow this to happen? And that's, that's just why James wrote these words because he wants to address those who may be wanting to push back at God. And so the issue of these verses is an issue of receptivity, receiving God's word, listening. Am I willing to Listen to God when he's speaking to me. Receptivity and response ability. The ability to respond, to act on God's word, to hear it and act on it, to listen to it and then to do it, to receive it and then respond it. Receiving and responding. Those are the two words that are in the driver's seat today in verses 19 and 27, and I want to talk about them. First, the receiving how receptive are we to God's truth? And James is here today and he's in our face. And he he's asking, he's saying, Randy, Randy, are you are you willing to believe God's word only when it agrees with your way of thinking? Are you? Are you willing to let God's word challenge you? Are you willing to are you, are, are you saying that the only time you're willing to agree with what God has has to say is when it happens to line up with your thinking, is that what this is about? I don't know how many of you have either read the book or seen the movie The Stepford Wives. Um, Stepford Wives, 1972, uh, satirical thriller, Ira Levin. It tells about um, Joanna Eberhardt who moved to this suburban town of Stepford, Connecticut. And who uh, began to just really get spooked out because she saw all the other wives in this town of Stepford, Connecticut. And she she began to get, you know, she began to suspect that these wives were were robots because they were frighteningly submissive to their husbands. Frighteningly, spookily submissive. It's like, it was just really, really eerie. There was just this, yes, dear. No, dear. And it's all in Stepford. And she meets this other friend finally, and they kind of connect up and talk with each other, and they're just like, they're going, have you noticed something strange about this town? And they're talking and sharing and whatnot. And and then, and then Joanna goes away for a long weekend and then comes back and then meets up with this friend that she's really connected with, and then her friend, first thing out of her mouth is, yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh no! Not you too. <laughs> the Stepford Wives, and that that phrase, you know, Stepford is a part of our American culture now. It, it describes uh, someone who is frighteningly submissive, you know, docile, easy to push around, etc. And I think that's what James is challenging us here in these verses. He's challenging Christians. He's challenging believers. Putting the question on the table, am I the kind of person who wants to worship a step for Jesus? Is that it? A Jesus that I can manage? A Jesus who doesn't talk back to me? A Jesus who doesn't challenge me? A Jesus who does not confront my assumptions or my thinking or my beliefs or, you know, know, Jesus would never say that and so I'm not really going to follow him because that's just not how I see Jesus. Well, then maybe the Jesus you're pursuing is a step for Jesus rather than the king of the universe. People ask, why has this tragedy fallen on Haiti? Why has this happened? Well, you know, there's I know very little, and I don't know a whole lot, okay? I know that there's a couple of fault lines in the country. I know that. I know that this is a broken, fallen, and sinful world. I know that. You know, I don't believe that the reason why this has happened to Haiti is because they made a pact with the devil in the past. Don't buy into that. I don't believe that the reason why what's happened down there is because, you know, there are any worse sinners. I mean, Jesus made that quite clear, did he not? In Luke chapter 13, verses four and five, some disciples were asking Jesus, well, you know, why have have these tragedies happened? And Jesus mentioned, he said, Luke chapter 13, verse four, what about those 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them? Undeserved, unexplained. He says, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? So, the, so the, the question is not why did they die, but why am I still alive? I mean, if it's not for the grace of God, you know? And, and still in all of this church family, you know, the answer to, the answer to suffering, Peter Kreeft is a, is a Christian, and he's a Christian thinker, and he talks about this. He says, you know, the answer to suffering is not a something. It's not like, okay, I get my piece of information, then I'm going to be okay. The answer to suffering is not a something, it's a someone. And that's where where Christianity just, that's where the truth of Christianity just emerges because Jesus did something about suffering. He came, he suffered with us, he wept. He came in the flesh, not in the ghost. And by coming in the flesh, he transformed the meaning of suffering. Now suffering is a part of his work of redemption. Our death pangs become birth pangs for heaven. If you didn't have a digestive system, would you be hungry? Would you? See, isn't the fact that you thirst evidence that water exists? And so we have these pangs over hurt, over tragedies that happen indicating that there is another world that's free from all of that. A world that God has prepared for us. And not only for us, but for those that we love. And for those who love Jesus. And then he died and rose. He entered into the suffering. He came in the flesh. He himself died. And by dying, he paid the price for our disobedience. And he opened heaven to us. And by rising from the dead, Jesus proved that death is not a hole. It's a door. Death is not the end, it's the beginning. See? Am I willing to receive that? Am I? Um, a guy by the name of Soren Kierkegaard, was a pastor in the um, 1800s, he said that James 1 19 to 27 was his favorite passage of Scripture. This is why he said that. Listen. He said, to be alone with the holy scriptures, I dare not. (laughs) Because when I turn up a passage in it, whatever comes to hand catches me instantly. It questions me. See, I open the Bible to look into it, but it's looking right at me. It questions me as if God himself were there questioning me. Have you done what you're reading? And then, 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 yes, I'm caught. Kierkegaard says. So it is action at once or, or at once or instantly humiliating admission. Oh, to be alone with the Holy Scriptures. And then he says, and if you're not alone with the Holy Scriptures, then you're not reading the Holy Scriptures. God, God's word is an exceedingly dangerous book. It's a domineering book. You give it a finger, it takes the whole hand. You give it the whole hand and it takes the whole man. Suddenly transforming my whole life on a huge scale. You know what? We look at tragedy. We look at tragedy and we say, Jesus, what's up with that? And Jesus says, no, what's up with you? I want to know what. I want to know what's up with you. You and me. You think you're any better? If you don't repent, (laughs) you will perish. How receptive am I in? to hear that word. I look at the word, I listen to the word, I come into the existence of the word, and I realize that this book is not a dead letter. It's living. It's living. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of God the heart. It judges my heart. It says, Randy, what are you doing? Just what do you think you're doing? Why do you do this? This? Why do you do this? What's in it for you? Why? It questions me. It challenges me. (laughs) If you're worshiping a step for Jesus, you need a new Jesus. The one that's in here. Are you receptive to that? Are you? Are you? Okay, good. James isn't done yet. <laughs> He's not. Is he? Don't merely listen to the word as if we can march out of here thinking, okay, I've heard it. I've, yes, it's self-congratulating, you know? Yeah, I, no, no, don't merely listen to the word. See, the receptivity is one thing. Now it's time to respond do what it says. How responsive am I to God's truth? And then he gives us this parable of the mirror. You see that there? The parable of anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says. is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But The man who intently looks looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed by what he does. You see? Why do we have bathroom mirrors? Uh, Why why do we have? Well, we have bathroom mirrors because it's it's the broccoli in the teeth syndrome. That's why. It's the smudged mascara syndrome. That's why. It's that, you know, pillowhead look. That's why. That's why we have these mirrors. Why else? Do we, we have mirrors. We have mirrors not to make the bathroom pretty, but because we want to be pretty. We want to. We need to be. We should be pretty. We, 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 we have these mirrors, but then you see what, but the mirror's not just, it, see, the mirror identifies the problem so that we can actually do something about it. But I don't know about you, you know, the mirror in my bathroom, I've, oh, it seems like lately I've just got all these ladybugs around, and, right? You have that issue? I mean, it just seems like I've killed all the ladybugs, and there's one that shows up on my bathroom mirror, and it's January now and cold, so he's just kind of doing this. He's an easy target, you know, he, boom, <laughs> he's in ladybug heaven. Listen, he just... <laughs> So I go to this mirror and I look at it and then I notice there's something else that needs to be cleaned on the mirror and then it needs to be straightened, you know. And, and I, there I spend all of this time. And, and isn't it true? I mean, it's possible for me to go into my bathroom and fiddle with the mirror without seeing myself in the mirror. And James says, this is the mirror of God's word. And he warns especially against guys like me who can spend all week outlining the word and translating the word and exegeting the word and reading commentaries about the word and note taking about the word. And this was just 19 to 27. And I can do all of that and walk away no more changed than if I'd spent the week reading the Wiki How column. You got that on your computer? Huh? The How To of the Day? Do you? Am I the only one? You want to waste your life. You can just read that. I, I could. Wow, that's interesting. Wow, that's neat. Here's this week's. This past week was how to cook your next meal from the fireplace. <laughs> how to make hamburger cupcakes. How to eat like a bodybuilder. I guess they, are, they don't go together, do they? How to think like a genius? How to think like a genius? Well, that attracted my attention, and then I read it and I thought that takes way too much work. I, <laughs> I'd rather think like an Okie. How to survive? How to survive in federal prison? <laughs> okay, really. There you, it wasn't that encouraging. If you ever go to federal prison, the article said, the first thing you need to understand is your life as you know it is over. Okay, that's great. All right, now, now what? Next article was how to make Tootsie rolls in the microwave. I like that. <laughs> Tootsie roll trivia. Tootsie roll trivia. I can read that. It makes it absolutely did nothing to change my life. It was just Tootsie roll trivia. And James says that if I treat the word this way, you will forget who you are. People will say, I want to find out who I am. I want, to know, I want to know who I am. I want to find myself. It's right in here. It's right in here. But you've got to look intently. You want to find yourself? When you, when you look at this and then go away and then just it's nothing, then you have forgotten yourself. Who, how God has made you to be. And James knows who he is. He tells us there in the first verse, doesn't he? What's it say? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's a servant? A servant is someone who receives whatever the boss says and then responds, and then responds. And somebody in the foyer asked me this really good question. He says, well, Randy, we're not to worship a Stepford Jesus, but does Jesus expect us to be Stepford worshipers? Good question. I love that question. And I said, no. And the reason why is because we're not robots. We have personalities. We have different gifts, different abilities. Only Jesus has all of the gifts. We've got a little bit of Jesus gift over here, a little bit of Jesus gift over there, a little bit of of Christ's personality over here and over there. We better stick together then, huh? That's why it's important for us to be in community. That's why Celebrate Recovery is so important. That's why being in a small group is so important, because you cannot do this by yourself. You can't. There's no way. Not not the unexplained trials. No. We need one another. And James says, I'm that servant. And and so it just shows up then. A servant shows up in terms of responding to God's word. How can you spot a servant? Well, huh. You know, if you want to be a servant who receives and responds, first of all, watch your mouth, verse 26. Whoever considers himself religious and doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Watch your mouth, James says. He, he brings this up later on in the letter. This theme is repeated later on in the letter. What would it look like to keep a tight rein on my mouth? Well, for now, let me just suggest this. A bridled tongue, a a bridled tongue is this, the right word in the right way at the right time. What do you think? The right word in the right way at the right time. The right word in the right way at the right time. And then verse 27, oh, a servant that responds and receives and responds is a servant who helps the helpless. Verse 27. 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, helping the helpless. And that's why what's happening this Friday is so important, because we want to help. You know what, it's gonna be be important in two areas. Uh, In this room here tonight, uh, Friday night, excuse me, in this room Friday night at 7.30, we're gonna be having a Sanctity of Life prayer vigil. To, to pray and to ask for God's help for the, really this national tragedy and sin of abortion. And, and right here in this room at 7.30. Before that, at 6 o'clock, our Celebrate Recovery uh, uh, ministry will begin and it's gonna be happening in the garage. And you know what? Here's the deal. And we, we've, this, is, this is such an opportunity for us. So, so here... In this room, we will be remembering those who are helpless, okay? And then here potentially, potentially in the garage, we will be remembering and helping those who maybe have had a history in hurting the helpless. Can we be a church that does both? Can we? Can we minister to those, see, who have been hurt and who have hurt? Where, who else is going to do that if we don't? See. And then James concludes by saying, you know, a, a servant, someone who receives and responds is someone who refuses to be polluted by the world. Refuses to be polluted by the world. That's the, so this is the response. This is the response that God wants from us. He wants us to watch your mouth. He wants you to help the helpless. And you be in the world, but don't be of it, because this world has nothing to give you for eternity. And you do this, James says, not forgetting what you've heard, not forgetting the mirror, take the mirror with you. Look at it, deeply, intently, you will be blessed. You will be. I guess the question is, do you wanna be blessed? Do you wanna be blessed? Those who hear, and those who do, those who receive, and those who respond, those who are receptive and those who take responsibility and continue to do this, there it is, that's the one day at a time factor, continue to do this, persevering in this, you'll be blessed. You know what? James did stay in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He did stay. He stayed until the day they killed him right right here at this spot. Boom. Right there in the temple. He was faithful to the end. Now this was the guy who grew up sharing the bathroom with Jesus. No. Yeah. He was. He was the same guy. He didn't believe him then. But someone coming back from the dead, okay, I believe. And he never turned back. Church family, wherever you are, don't turn back. Receive it and respond. And you'll be blessed. Do you want to be blessed? Oh God, we love you so much. We do want to be blessed. And so many of us are looking in the wrong places for the blessing. But when we open your word, we realize we're at the right place. Thank you for the word of your scripture, and thank you for the word made flesh. Jesus, we receive your word and we respond. And our answer is yes. In your name, amen.